Hebrews 13, 4, that first phrase. Marriage should be honored by all. Marriage should be honored by all. And church, if you will, repeat that with me. Marriage should be honored by all. This is God's word. You may be seated. The family unit is the, both the sweetest and the sourest of all of God's gifts that he gives us. The most exhilarating joys and the deepest of sorrows happens through the family. You know this, and the Bible clearly testifies to this. Okay, In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, what do we see? Adam and Eve, first man, the first woman, they're bound together in holy matrimony, and they experience a perfect marriage. There's no bickering, no um, hatefulness. Their love was undefiled. Their hearts were unblemished. And, just frankly, they had perfect bodies, okay? Perfect marriage. Imagine the bliss that they experienced together. In Genesis chapter 4, after the fall of man, we see the devastating effects of sin on the family. Because Adam and Eve dealt with the death of their own child. But it wasn't just the death of a child their own son was senselessly murdered. And it wasn't just that. The perpetrator was their other son, right? When Cain killed Abel in cold blood. You can imagine the grief, the misery, and the confusion and the pain and the heartache that they experienced. Now for us today, in the post-fall world in 2024, we're able to both experience the sweetness of the family, vestiges of it, right? some after effects of it, some little breadcrumbs of it. And we also taste the sour components of a sin-tainted family. We all have experienced that in one way, shape, or form. Now, this morning, I'm addressing kind of three groups of people today, okay? When I'm focusing on the topic of marriage. I understand that many of you here are married, okay? So I'm speaking to you if you are married. Some of you were married before, and you may have been widowed or you may have been divorced. And some of you are single, whether you're you know, a teenager, young adult, or you've just never been married in life. Right? This truth applies to all of us. Okay, Let me explain why. As Christians, our goal is kind of twofold. There's a lot of goals in the Christian life. I'm highlighting two this morning. Okay, What are they? Everything that God creates, every good gift that he creates we are called to receive it as he intended it, okay? So if God created food, we need to receive the gift of food as he intends, right? To strengthen us, to nourish us, to give us joy, and not for the sake of gluttony, right? You can fill in the blank with anything. You have to receive the gifts that God has created as he intended. But then secondly, every Christian is called to submit every component of your life to the Lord's design. Think about the topic of money, okay? That's another gift from God. What does God's word say about money? What is his design? What is his purpose for money? We need to understand what God's word says, and then, subsequently, we need to submit our own finances to the Lord, okay? Understand what his word says, and then submit your life accordingly. So for us today, all of us are called to obey Hebrews 13.4. Marriage should be honored by all. Marriage should be honored by all. This is if you're single. This is if you were married before. This is if you're currently married. The institution of marriage must be honored by all. 
no matter what it describes your current state, we all are called to honor marriage. And if we are going to do that, if you are going to do that in your own families or in your own life, you have to understand what is the blueprint of the family? What is the design of the family? Why did God make the family in the first place? What is husband and wife? Okay, the family unit, there's a lot of concentric circles, right? There's husband and wife, there's parents and kids, there's um, that fam- the nuclear family with uh, grandparents, with aunts and uncles and cousins and all, everybody in between, all right? There's times and place to address all of those different components of family life, but this morning, for the sake of time, I want to look at the foundation of family, which is really the foundation of civilization, and that is the institution of marriage. Two big points for you today. We're going to look at, number one, the headship of husbands, and number two, the submission of wives. Two very controversial sides of the same coin, all right? But let's dive into God's word to see what he says about men and women, husbands and wives. Ephesians chapter 5, turn there with me. Here's an underlying thesis as you're turning there, just to refresh your mind. What are we doing? Whoever designed it defines it, okay? The Lord designed marriage. God defines marriage. The culture does not define marriage. Your own personal desires and likings does not define marriage. The courts do not define marriage. God alone defines what marriage is, okay? Not only who, right, one man, one woman, we got that, but what should the one man and the one woman do? What are their roles that God has called them to live out, to obey? God designed it. God defines it. He sets the parameters. What does his word say? So firstly, the headship of husbands. Ephesians 5.23 and then 25 to the end of the chapter. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Then verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body." For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each of one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So what is headship? Okay, that's the big word, that's the big buzzword, the controversial word. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. What is biblical headship? If you're taking mental notes, physical notes, here's my stab at it, okay? What is biblical headship? It is the calling and role of husbands. Got that? The calling and role of husbands to initiate loving, self-giving acts of service. To initiate loving, self-giving acts of service and speak life-giving words. For the good of the family and the glory of God. Let me say that one more time throughout. What is headship? What does it mean for men to be the heads of the home? Headship is the calling and role of husbands to initiate loving, self-giving acts of service 
and speak life-giving words for the good of the family and the glory of God. If you want to understand what headship is, two big places, Genesis 1 to 3 and then Ephesians 5 right here. What do we see from Genesis 1 to 3? Okay, so this isn't just a New Testament doctrine. This is rooted in God's creation order in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. What do we see there? Well, literally, when, when it describes and shows us who Adam is, Adam is the head of the family. What does that simply mean? In one sense, it means Adam is the source of the woman. How did God make man and woman? He created man from the dust of the ground, okay, formed and shaped him, and then breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. How did God make woman? Not as a separate entity. He didn't go over there to that dirt pile and make her. He took a rib out of Adam's side and then formed and fashioned a woman from the side of man. What's the implication there? Simply put, literally, man is the head of woman and that the woman got her life literally from the man. The source is from the man. Think about the head of a river, okay? The head of a river. The water flows from the head of the river. So likewise, the woman literally came from the side of Adam, okay? But also, so it's not only the source of, source from, being the head does imply, okay, this is a big word, does imply having some authority over. Before you get all up in arms, let me show you in Genesis 1 and 2. What responsibility did God give Adam? That's a question for you. What responsibility did God give Adam? To name the animals, okay? To name all of the animals. Now, this isn't, this was not just some arbitrary act. You know, Adam, just choose, you know, between platypus and dinosaur, you can choose, all right? It's not some arbitrary naming. To name something, especially back then, implies ownership and indicates your role in caretaking. What am I talking about? How many of you either have or know of somebody who has a car or a gun named Old Bessie, right? right? You know what I'm talking about. You name something, maybe affectionately, and what does it imply? This is mine, but it's also I'm committed to it. I'm going to take care of it. And that's packed within what God is desiring Adam to do. I want you to rule over creation. I don't want you to just name stuff. I want you to have an active hand and role in taking care of my creation. So then, what do we see? Genesis 2.23. These are the first recorded words of humanity, of all of humanity. What was the first thing that Adam said? Behold, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. The first words that were spoken was a love poem. And what did Adam do? He named the woman. Genesis 3, verse 20, we see Adam explicitly, it tells us, Adam named his wife Eve because she would be, become the mother of all the living. Now, to be clear, this does not imply a wife is property of a husband, okay? Not at all. The, the sense that is being communicated is that the husband is compassionately committed to the well-being of his wife, and vice versa. To use the words of Song of Solomon 6.3, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Okay? This is a good, loving, beautiful thing. That ownership, that mutual connection, that mutual commitment to one another. That is what is being communicated there. That's what we see in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. 
What do we see in Ephesians 5? The fuller, more robust picture of marriage. Okay? We need both the Old Testament and the New Testament. To understand headship, if you see in Ephesians 5, what must you understand if you want to understand what biblical headship is? Look at the text. What must you understand if you want to understand what headship means? You must understand who Jesus is. Okay? You cannot define marriage. You cannot wrap your head around marriage fully apart from Jesus Christ. Because as Christ is the head of the church, as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her to make her holy, to present her to himself as a radiant church, as Christ so loved the church and served the church, so likewise husbands are to love and serve their wives. How do you do that? What does that mean? What does that look like? At its core, and very basically, it means husbands take the initiative. Okay? Husbands, you are called to take the initiative, to set the tone in the family. As one pastor said, he said biblical headship means that the husband gives direction to the family and is ultimately responsible to provide for its well-being. Does anybody know Joshua twenty four fifteen? Off the top of their head? You you would know it if I recite it to you. What is Joshua twenty four fifteen? This needs to be the heart cry of every father and every husband. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Husbands are called to believe that, to embody that in the way they live their life, and to literally exclaim that or verbally state it. Right? To remind their families, their wives, their children, honey. Kids, family, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Not in name only, but in the way that we live. Men are called to set the tone. Three things to note about headship, okay? In light of God's design, right there. With any good design, there is temptation for perverting it and twisting it, okay? I think two particular temptations that husbands face is to either be passively abdicate is to passively abdicate or to angrily dominate in the home. Okay? God calls men to lead, set the tone, love your spouse unconditionally, take the initiative, the temptation, passively abdicate or angrily dominate. How do we fight those temptations? Be anchored in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do I mean by that? When you, potentially, when you've given that command to stop throwing food on the floor for the 37th time, you might be thinking for the 38th time when it happens, why even bother? I'm not even going to try anymore. Okay? That's passive abdication. I'm not even going to try anymore. Forget it. Nobody's listening. I'm trying to do a good thing. Nobody's listening. Forget it. We stay faithful, husbands, at the task of parenting. Because why? Because Jesus Christ lives in us, and Jesus Christ himself stayed committed to us and drilled the same lesson into our stubborn, obstinate heads over and over and over again. If you don't believe me, look at how he treated Peter in John 21. Okay? He still told the same message to Peter three separate times. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Right? We need to learn the same message over and over and over. That's how Christ treats us with patience and gentleness. Or husbands on the opposite end of the spectrum. If you happen to be overextended at work, 
or you are frustrated at home, the temptation might be to lash out in anger, right? To just fume and just let it all out. How can we fight that? Remember that Jesus Christ lives in you and that he himself, though we were very arrogant, though we are very sinful, he is patient and gentle with us in our shortcomings. Men, husbands, we are called to be washed in the gospel continually. Second thing to note. This is quite significant on this controversial topic. It's so important for us to hear. And women, for you to hear as well, wives. Husbands are never, ever, ever called to demand submission from wives. You do not see that in the text anywhere in the Bible. Okay? There's no room to ever be able to say, woman or wife, listen to me because I'm the head. You don't see that anywhere in the Bible. The role of the husband, we are called to humbly and lovingly serve our wives so that a healthy environment of flourishing, of submission can grow, can happen. Because if a man, when a man lovingly and humbly serves the family, and we'll get to this in just a moment, submission becomes natural and it becomes easy. Okay, we need both and for it to be a biblical picture. Thirdly and finally, this should go without saying, but the husband does not have ultimate authority over his wife, okay? Just as the government doesn't have ultimate, ultimate authority over your life, just as pastors don't have ultimate authority over a congregation's life, there is only one sovereign authority, Jesus Christ, okay? That's plainly clear from Scripture. And husbands, we must understand our role is under shepherds. Is there authority within what it means to be a father, with what it means to be a husband? Yes, but we are merely under shepherds of the chief shepherd who has the ultimate authority over our homes. Husbands, submit to the father who is the one in authority over us. Okay? Number two, the submission of wives. Two sides of the same coin. Submission of wives. This is from Ephesians 25, 22 to 24. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, it's no surprise in our culture, submission is a very dirty word, right? True or not true? It is a dirty word in the culture. But you have to understand, wives, husbands, men, women, single, married, submission and submitting is inherent with what it means to be a Christian, Okay? This isn't just an explicitly command for wives. You'll understand what I'm saying in a second. Submission in general is for all Christians, for all people. Okay? What do I mean? 1 Peter 3 and Ephesians 5. If you want to have your finger in 1 Peter 3, that'd be cool if you want to reference it. But 1 Peter 3 and Ephesians 5 contain the two big passages with what it talks about men leading and women submitting or following. In Ephesians 5... You may have noticed I didn't read the prior verse, Ephesians 5.21, where it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What is that command? That command isn't given to husbands and wives. It's given to the whole church. Okay? The whole church within Christendom, within the congregation, within the people of God, there ought to be an attitude of mutual submission to one another. Okay? No Christian is better than another Christian. 
We all have weak spots. We all have blind spots. We all have areas in which we need to grow. Okay? Christians are called to mutually submit to one another. So, the context of women or, or wives submitting to husbands is rooted in that general context of mutual submission. In 1 Peter 3, verse 1, what does the text say? Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. We see the explicit language there again. But what is, what did Peter say right before that? Okay, in chapter 2, verse 13, Peter instructs all Christians everywhere, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Basically, submit to the government, all right? In chapter 2, verse 18, Peter instructs slaves, or better to understand them as servants back then, um, because this wasn't black chattel slavery as we know it in America, okay? This was being a bond servant, paying off debts by serving people in their homes and their businesses, right? So, so for our context, to be a worker or to be a servant, submit to your own masters. Submit to your bosses. I don't, is there, are there any CEOs in here? Just out of curiosity. I think everybody in here support, reports to somebody, right? Or you did before when you were working, and I, myself, as a pastor, I submit to the congregation, right? We're a congregational church. So y'all are my bosses, all right? Um, all of us have a superior we're called to submit to. Pretty basic. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, Peter says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Why do I say all of that? I love the words of one pastor. Submission to authority is a Christian virtue. It is not just a woman's issue. Okay. Another scholar simply put it like this. Men as well as women should be submissive in their subordinate relationships. Submission is inherent with what it means to be a Christian. For all of us ultimately submit to who? The Lord Jesus Christ. So, big question. What does it mean to submit? What does it mean for wives to submit to their husbands? And notice it does not say a blanket statement. Women submit to men in general. This is in the context of the home. Right? This is also important to take note of. What does it mean for wives to submit to their husbands? Here's my stab at it. Submission means to affirm, to encourage, and to support the husband in his leadership. What does it mean to submit? To affirm, to encourage, to support the husband in his leadership. As one pastor said, Submission is the defined calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and so help to carry it through according to her gifts. Now, immediately, some of y'all may be thinking and legitimately asking the big question, one of the ones in the back of your head. What if the husband is not leading the wife and family? How can I submit if there's nothing to follow? How can I encourage if there's nothing to encourage? That is a big question. That... I'm not going to address that in depth right now in the context of the sermon for the sake of time. But in 1 Peter 3, you'll notice that passage in Peter's command is explicitly addressed to wives who are married to unbelieving husbands. So the Bible does directly address this issue. For now, I simply say this. If a husband is not leading in the home as he ought to be, the wife's role is still to encourage her husband to do so. Okay, that might be explicitly by saying in a gentle, loving way, you know, honey, you're called to serve the family. And if, and if that dynamic isn't 
you know, established and appropriate in some context to encourage that in her husband, how can all of us encourage that behind the scenes? Through our prayers, praying for your husband, okay? And then, as First Peter 3 talks about, live, continue to live a godly life. Live a godly life marked by purity and reverence, right? But that is a big question, a very real one that affects many people, and I'm not going to try to, you know, give you a silver bullet in two seconds, all right? We need to understand that question in the context of a local church community. I'd be happy to talk about that with you more if you'd like. Three things to note on submission, and then we'll wrap up. Number one, submission does not mean, wives, that you are a wet noodle, okay? That does not mean that you have to agree on everything with your husband. It does not mean that you have to be silent, that you have to be quiet, and that there has to be perfect unison in decision-making. That's not what it means to submit. However, it does mean that deference is shown to the husband in his leadership. I love the example that Tim Keller used of his own life and his own marriage. Tim Keller was a pastor up in New York City of a Presbyterian church for 30-plus years. Um, He actually started in Hopewell, Virginia. It was his first pastoral assignment. And then he moved up to Pennsylvania and then went to the, the, the belly of the beast in New York City to spread the gospel. But when they were in Pennsylvania, Tim had a very good connection and job with um, Westminster Theological Seminary. They were well-established. They had kids. They had three boys. But Tim had this desire in his heart to go and plant a church in the heart of New York City, in Manhattan. Him and his wife, Kathy, they wrestled through it a lot, talked through it, hashed through pros and cons, right? Tim is explaining, I believe this is a call from God on my life. I feel like this is something that I ought to do, that we ought to do as a family, and I really want to do it for, you know, for X, Y, and Z, so on and so forth. Kathy's response, I think like a lot of great ladies, hey, we're, we're well connected to our church here. You've got a great job. Um, you know, our kids are young. Why would we want to move to the city with young kids? Uh, I don't want to go. She just frankly said, I don't want to go. So Tim, kind of to try to be... Um, to try to, you know, honor the wife, to serve the wife, to love the wife. He was like, all right, well, if you don't want to go, then we're not going to go. Is that leadership? I don't think so. Because Kathy immediately gave him the retort, no, 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 you're not going to put that on me, okay? You be a man and you lead the family, whatever you end up choosing. If you do end up choosing to go, I will support you. Our family will support you. And perhaps the big kicker, I will not say I told you so. I believe that's a biblical, healthy picture of what marriage is, right? For the wife to lovingly submit to the husband and for the husband to take all things into consideration, right? This is not the husband sitting in his own room coming up with a game plan for life. You say, woman, you're going to do this no matter what. No, that's, that's not at all the picture, okay? It's this mutual um, conversation back and forth. And one little note I'll, I'll make, First Peter 3, 7. Okay, 1 Peter 3, 1 to 6, wives, submit to your husbands. 1 Peter 3, 7, what's one of the big commands Peter tells to husbands? Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. That is powerful right there. How many men are just so dull, so unattuned to the desires, the thoughts, the feelings of their, their wives, of their kids? Husbands are called to live in an understanding way. Okay, but what's my point? Submission is beautiful when it's done according to God's design. 
Secondly, I'm going to try to wrap this up. Secondly, as husbands' authority is limited, so also wives' submission is limited. Okay, this should go without saying as well. Based on the wisdom of Acts chapter 5, which is what, what, what's the famous phrase there? We would rather obey God than men. Okay, we're going to obey God Almighty as opposed to government. If government gives us a command that coerces us to disobey God, we're not going to obey, we're not going to obey the government. We're going to obey God. And the same goes in the home context. Wives, you are not called to submit if there is an evil or sinful demand. You are not called to do that at all. Use the wisdom of the Lord and submit to what is good and godly. Thirdly, the temptation for wives, as Genesis 3 explicitly talks about, what is the temptation upon wives after the fall? You will desire to rule over your husband. It's this role reversal. Wives' temptation is to usurp and undermine the God-given design of male headship in the home. The only way to avoid this temptation is to stay rooted in the gospel of Christ. What do I mean? When you don't feel like following God's will of headship and submission, look at Christ. What did he do? He himself humbled himself, submitted himself to the will of his own father. Even though in his humanity, he had the temptation not to. What happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? Lord, this is your will. This is your plan. Frankly, man, I'm having trouble swallowing this pill. But what did he do? Not my will, but yours be done. As Christ submitted to the will of the Father, so also wives and husbands were called to submit to the will of God, regardless of how we might feel in the moment. Let's wrap it all up. Headship and submission are highly charged and controversial topics in the culture at large. But, this is for all of you, headship and submission are biblical words, biblical concepts, and we cannot excuse them. Okay, We should not apologize for them either. This is God's design. What we need to apologize for is going astray from his good design. All right, There's, of course, been an abuse of this good design. There's been abuse of government, abuse of the marriage, abuse of uh, parenting, right? But the point is we all need to be recentered on what does God's word say? What is the blueprint? What is the design? What is the outline that we all are called to fall back on and to reference and to submit to continually? Okay? Please keep that in mind. And also, headship and submission are not isolated concepts. Both of them are to be practiced in the concept or in the ethic of Christian love. Okay? Take 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 for an example. Verses 1 to 6, wives, submit to your husbands. Verse 7, husbands, um, let me just read it for you so you can see, hear it. Husbands, the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives or be understanding with them as you live with them. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner. And that's from my understanding, that's just plainly implying the physical, right? Because there's nothing in Scripture that implies women are weaker spiritually, mentally, emotionally. In fact, in the Gospel accounts, just a little um, trivia for you, no woman is ever recorded as being against Jesus. It's kind of significant, all right? So, treat them with respect, honor them as the weaker partner, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And then verse 8, Finally, all of you, 
All of you who are Christians, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. That applies to husbands, wives, single, married, men, and women. Okay, it's to be practiced in the context of the Christian love ethic. And also, I'm fully aware not everybody here is married. And that's okay. Right, in the, the group of singleness, that's a big group because it can describe a widow, a divorced, somebody who's never been married, somebody who's just young. And God's word speaks to each of these people with particular hope, facing your particular concerns. But for all of us, married and unmarried, Hebrews 13.4 applies to us all. Marriage should be honored by all. The institution of marriage must be honored by all. Every single Christian, married or not, needs to stand up for the institution of God's design of marriage. One man, one woman. But it's not just that. I hope you've seen that in the text. It's not just one man and one woman. In the ideal world, it's one husband who loves Jesus fearlessly, and it's one wife who loves Jesus fearlessly. Because if you don't know Christ personally, you are missing out on a big component of what marriage is. You must have that connection with Christ. Marriage should be honored by all. In church, leadership and submission are two sides of the same coin. When both are done in a godly way, it is a beautiful thing in God's sight. Indeed, I truly believe it is the most powerful thing in the world. Yes, yeah, love is in general, but love how? Love in the family context. Yes, yeah, the nuclear family, but it's much more than that. Because what did Jesus say in the Gospels? If you follow my will, if you are a Christian, if you obey me, you are my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and my father. What is he saying? The true family of God. The true most important family is the family of God. That Christians share with one another. Okay? The family of God is the most powerful force on earth when the Spirit of God works through the family of God. Church, there's a lot of different tangents. This is a huge topic, all right? Family life is massive. Divorce is real. Being a widow is real. Being a single is real. Dating is real. The, 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 you know, the things that you deal with in marriage is real. The conflict and conflict resolution, how to parent well and wisely. These are all massive topics. My goal today I hope has been tried to, I hopefully has been simple for you. What is God's blueprint and God's design of marriage? Okay, we can talk about all those other things in due time. But every single Christian must know what is the good design, the good blueprint that God has outlined for us in his word. Let's receive it, let's honor it, and let's submit our lives to it. So, in conclusion, as is customary, What does the Baptist faith and message say about the family? So if you will, read this with me. God has ordained the family as the foundational institution of human society. It is composed of persons related to one another by marriage, blood, or adoption. Marriage is the uniting of one man and one woman in covenant commitment for a lifetime. It is God's unique gift to reveal the union between Christ and his church and to provide for the man and the woman in marriage the framework for intimate companionship, 
the channel of sexual expression according to biblical standards and the means for procreation of the human race. The husband and wife are of equal worth before God since both are created in God's image. The marriage relationship models the way God relates to his people. A husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. He has the God-given responsibility to provide for, to protect, and to lead his family. A wife is to submit herself graciously to the servant leadership of her husband, even as the church willingly submits to the headship of Christ. She, being in the image of God, as is her husband, and thus equal to him, has the God-given responsibility to respect her husband and to serve as his helper in managing the household and nurturing the next generation. One more. Children from the moment of conception are a blessing and heritage from the Lord. Parents are to demonstrate to their children God's pattern for marriage. Parents are to teach their children spiritual and moral values and to lead them through consistent lifestyle example and loving discipline to make choices based on biblical truth. Children are to honor and obey their parents. Let's pray, and then we'll close with the doxology. Our Father, with this very, very big, very weighty topic of marriage, will you please help us all to submit to your good design? For the husbands here present, please help us all to faithfully serve our families with love, with gentleness, with grace, with humility, and with initiative. Help us to love as you first loved the church, selflessly and sacrificially. Father, for wives who are here present, will you please help them in their walk with you, and please give them wisdom in how to honor your word in terms of submission in their own homes. Please help them to walk in wisdom, help them to submit even when it's hard, but Lord, for those situations where there may be abuse or or sinful things going on. Will you please help us as a church to, to be with these ladies, to walk alongside them in wisdom. And Father, that you'll help us all to do our part in calling out sin and in calling people to repentance. Father, for the kids who are here today, will you please instill in them a desire to submit to parents, to submit to their rule over them, to submit to the ways in which they discipline them. And Father, for the parents, and even for the grandparents who have a a say in this here and there, help parents to discipline with love, with gentleness, with grace, and with patience, always with an eye to see them grow in the grace and knowledge of who you are. Jesus, for those who may be single today, whether it be due to not being married before, to being divorced or being widowed, will you please give them hope Please give them assurance in your truth and please give us all reminders and to settle in the reality that our greatest hope is in the fact that you are our good father. Our greatest hope is that you are the loving spouse who has pursued us 
and that for married and unmarried, we alike all must find our identity in who you are and how you've treated us. Help us all in our each respective ways to honor marriage as you've called us to. Help us to do that in our own homes. Help us to do that for the institution of marriage as a whole. Father, we acknowledge that you have designed it, you have defined it, and Father, we confess that we fall very, very short of living up to your perfect standards. Help us by the power of your Spirit to do our part better and better, little by little, every single day. It's only by your power that we can do this. Help us to be a light in this world that is looking to you, that is looking to families for hope. Help us as the family of God, as brothers and sisters together, help us to be united in the core commitment to love you with all our hearts and to love one another as we love ourselves. Please help us, Jesus. Please help us. Please help us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.